Today's message is entitled, Do You Want to Be Made Well? If you have your bulletin, you can turn to that note sheet page where we've got some, um, some points on there to follow along with. Now, last week we began studying John chapter 4. Jesus and his disciples were leaving Judea, and they were headed north up to Galilee. But they took a lesser-traveled path. It was a quicker path, but lesser-traveled because it went right through Samaria. And usually the Jews wanted nothing to do with the Samaritans. But Jesus led his crew right through Samaria, and Jesus had a wonderful conversation with the woman at the well, a Samaritan woman. Now, in John chapter 3, Jesus had addressed those that were self-righteous, talking with Nicodemus the Pharisee. And he told Nicodemus, look, even though your whole life is all about honoring God, unless you're born again, you're not going to see the kingdom of heaven. And then in John chapter 4 with the Samaritan woman, Jesus addressed the unrighteous Samaritan woman, telling her that all she needs to do is ask him for a drink, and he would give her living water, eternal life. The Samaritan woman said that, well, I know the Messiah is coming. We know that the Christ will come. And then Jesus replied in John chapter 4, verse 26, where Jesus said, I who speak to you am he. Think about that. That's one of the most clear confessions of Jesus saying, this is who I am in all of the Gospels. And he gives it to this Samaritan woman at the well. Don't you love God's grace? And so Jesus says, I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. I am the anointed one, the Savior of the world who was sent by God the Father. And so then Jesus stayed there for two days and he taught the Samaritans and many of them believed in him. And that's where we pick up now in John chapter 4. Look at verses 43 through 54. We're going to read how Jesus heals from afar. Verse 43, now after the two days, Jesus departed from there and went to Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. You see, Jesus was raised in Galilee, and he knew that many of the people there were not going to give him respect or treat him like a prophet because they, they would say, I know this guy. He's Mary's boy. I, I saw him grow up. And so Jesus says, a prophet has no honor in his own country, because these people already thought they knew Jesus. Verse 45, so when Jesus came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they also had gone to the feast. This was a few chapters ago. We read about Jesus going to Jerusalem to this feast of the Jews. There were three major feasts of the Jews where all of the Jews in the area were supposed to all gather at Jerusalem to celebrate the Lord. And at one of these feasts is where Jesus came into the temple. It was during the Passover, and we talked about how they had set up a marketplace, and there was kind of that black market of the people selling you know, pre-approved sheep that were ready for slaughter. And Jesus, he flipped over the tables, and he cleared out the marketplace from the temple. And then we also read how Jesus foretold that he would be put to death and then he would come back to life in three days. He said, destroy this temple and I will raise it in three days. And then we read that Jesus did many other miracles and signs there during the feast. 
And so many of these Galileans were there in Jerusalem, and they saw some or all of these signs that Jesus had done. And now he's back with them in their hometown in Galilee in the north. And so, verse 46, it says, So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. We don't know exactly what sickness this boy had, but we know that it was so serious he was on his deathbed. And so this man, the father, he traveled from Capernaum to Cana, about 15 miles west to come find Jesus because he trusted that Jesus was the only hope for his son. Look at verse 48. It says, Then Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. So this man has come to Jesus for healing, but first Jesus gives kind of this general rebuke to the people. Because for many of the Galileans, they would only believe if they saw signs and wonders. They were so founded, their faith was so founded upon seeing miracles. That's where their faith lay. Now remember the Samaritans that Jesus just spent two days with. If you look back in your Bibles to John chapter 4, look at verses 40 through 42. It says, So when the Samaritans had come to Jesus, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. Man, if you like to take notes in your Bible, that's a good phrase to underline right there. Because the Samaritans, they believed because of his own word. Then verse 42, Then they said to the woman, the woman at the well, they said, Now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him. And we know that this is indeed the Christ the Savior of the world. You see, the Samaritans, they put their faith in Jesus because they heard the words that he spoke and they believed. And those were the Samaritans. Those were supposed to be the second class, the second rate. And yet here, now that Jesus is in Galilee, in an area of mostly Jews, they're not ready to believe at his word. They only want to believe if they see something really miraculous, really great. And I think it's still a danger for us today as Christians to overemphasize miracles over the Word of God. You see, Paul tells us in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 9, he says, "...the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders." So this verse is talking about when the Antichrist comes in the end, he will have the power of Satan, and he will have power to do miracles by Satan's power. But my point here is that Satan does have some power. Satan does have some ability to do miraculous. And so we as Christians need to be careful just because we might see something miraculous, it doesn't mean it's of the Lord. You see, our faith has to be grounded upon the Word of God, not upon the supernatural. And that's why we as a church spend so much time reading God's Word studying it verse by verse. And so your first, um, your first point on your note sheet there, it says our faith needs to be founded upon the Word of God rather than upon signs and wonders. 
because not all signs and wonders are of the Lord. Now look at verse 49, back in John chapter 4. The nobleman said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go your way, your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. You see, this man, he had nothing to go by except the words of Jesus, and that was enough. And so he leaves. He left his his son on his deathbed 15 miles away, but now he begins the journey home, trusting that he's healed because Jesus simply said so. I love that faith. As the man begins to travel home alone, not with Jesus, not with the miracle worker. He doesn't have Facebook to see his son's status change to, feeling better, Dad. He doesn't know. But by faith, he begins that journey home and says, all right, Jesus said my son's going to be fine. So I'm going to believe it. And so verse 51, it says, And he, this man, the father, as he was now going down, heading home, his servants met him and told him, saying, Your son lives. Then he inquired of them the hour when he got better. And they said to him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. Notice that the father didn't even get home that same day. But he had to wait that whole night until the next day to finally hear the confirmation, Yeah, your faith was founded upon a good word. Your son is healed. He's fine, in fact. And so this man trusted and he he saw his son be healed. And so verse 53, so the father, he knew it was at the same hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives. And he himself believed and his whole household. This again is the second sign Jesus did when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. The fact that Jesus simply speaks a word and a boy in another city, 15 miles away, is healed in that very instant, it shows that Jesus not only has the power to heal, but that Jesus is not restricted by space. And that's the next point in your note sheet. Jesus is not restricted by space. And it makes sense when we think about it, right? Because God is the one who spoke everything into creation by His Word. And so we would expect that Jesus, when he speaks, whether he's right next to somebody or miles away, when Jesus speaks, his words are going to come true. Creation is going to continue to obey his voice. Now in John chapter 5, in verses 1 through 9, we read how Jesus heals a man. Look at verse 1. It says, After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So he was up in the north in Galilee. Now he's gone back south to Jerusalem. It always says up to Jerusalem, whether you're coming in from the north or from the south because Jerusalem was higher up in the hills. So no matter which direction, you're always going up to Jerusalem. So Jesus has gone up to Jerusalem. Verse 2, Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first 
after the stirring of the water, was made well of whatever disease he had. So it seems that here at this pool, there has been at least one legitimate healing of somebody who had taken a dip in this pool and they were healed. And now because of that, this story has grown, the legend has grown. And we don't know if, if the Lord really was still using this pool to heal people or if this had now become a legend where people from all over were coming whenever they had a sickness or they were handicapped, they would come to this pool and they would watch the water. And if they'd see that the spring underneath produced those bubbles and the water was stirred, they'd all rush into the water at once trying to be the first one to get in and find healing. Now verse 5. A certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the water when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. Notice first of all that this man didn't answer Jesus' question. Jesus said, do you want to be made well? And the man replied with an excuse that implies, well, even if I wanted to be made well, I can't because everybody else is too fast. They jump in before me. The others beat me to it, so I have no hope of being made well. He basically says, it's too hard. I can't be made well. Notice, too, that Jesus did not ask, do you want to be well, but do you want to be made well? You see, Jesus' offer, the burden of the healing, was on Jesus, not on the man, but that's not how the man took it. The man tried to bear that burden himself, thinking it depended on his own ability to get into that water quick enough at the right moment. So, verse 8, Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made well. He took up his bed, and he walked. And that day was the Sabbath. So Jesus heals the man immediately. He doesn't use the bubbling pool. just speaks a word, and the man is made well. And notice that's how it's phrased in verse 9 there. It says the man was made well. The man didn't become well. He wasn't earned well, but he was made well by Jesus. And to me, this is a wonderful reminder, if you look at that next point on your note sheet, that Jesus offers to make us well by his own strength. But we can be tempted to try and heal ourselves in our own strength. You see, that's, that's religion. That's the way of mankind. The legend of the pool said when the water is stirred, the first one in gets the blessing. Man, you've got to be first. You've got to really want the blessing and then you'll be healed. And sadly, there are many Christians today who still get sucked into that kind of mindset. You see, it sounds spiritual that if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, then you've got to really make yourself holy. Man, that sounds spiritual. It sounds spiritual that if you want to be healed of your disease, then you really got to pray and you really got to fast and be worthy of it. You've got to show God where your faith really is. It sounds spiritual. And yet if you take a step back with me and you look at those two ideas I just put forth, then we would see God dangling His blessings of healing or being filled with the Spirit just out of reach of His children. Does that sound like the Lord to you? 
No, that sounds like what I do to my dogs to tease them, right? I dangle the table scraps and I make them shake and roll over and they do all kinds of tricks I didn't know they could do because they want it so bad. But that's not how I treat my children, usually. (laughs) Usually I bless them just because I love them, right? I bless them because they're my kids. They don't need to earn it. They just need to be my kids, which they already are. And so I bless them. And that's how God is with us. You see, God blesses us because he loves us, not because we've earned it. And that idea of, man, I want to be filled with the Spirit, so I've got to jump through all these hoops to earn it. That's you trying to earn something that God says, no, just ask. You see, with our salvation, we're so tempted to think, well, I've got to fix my life and clean it up, and then I can come to the Lord. And God says, no, you've got to be born again. That's the only way. You believe in me. You see, the sick man was healed because God is gracious, not because the sick man deserved it, not because the sick man threw himself in the pool fast enough, not because the sick man had enough faith to be worthy of something. It's because of God's grace. It's because God loves us. Now look at verses 10 through 15 we read about issues with the Sabbath. Verse 10 says, The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. You see, the Sabbath was every week at Friday sundown. The Sabbath began and it lasted until Saturday at sundown. And God told the Jews in Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 21 and 22, Thus says the Lord, Take heed to yourselves, and bear no burden on the Sabbath day, nor bring it in by the gates of Jerusalem, nor carry a burden out of your houses on the Sabbath day, nor do any work but hallow the Sabbath day, as I commanded your fathers. The law said, Bear no burden on the Sabbath. And so the Jews said, Well, let's define burden. What does it mean? And they basically decided, well, it means you can't carry anything out of your house, outside of your house, on the Sabbath day. So if you have a prosthetic leg, leave that at home. You can't bear that burden on the Sabbath. If you've got false teeth, leave those at home. You can't bear that burden on the Sabbath day. And so you can see how they've really interpreted this law to mean a lot more than God meant it. And so here was the man whom Jesus had just healed. And he's carrying his bed, probably with a big smile on his face because he's just been healed. He's walking for the first time after 38 years. And here comes the law. And they say, hey, 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 what are you doing? No carrying your bed on the Sabbath. Today's a holy day. And so look back at verse 10 with me. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, it is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. And he answered them, He who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now, hold on right there. Don't miss this. Look back at what the man said in verse 11. The man said, He who made me well told me to take up my bed and walk. And notice in verse 12, Then they, the Jews, the law, they asked him, Who told you to carry your bed on the Sabbath? They completely skipped over the part 
where he said, he who made me well. You see, all they were caring about was the law. They didn't care about the miracle. They didn't care about this man being healed after 38 years. They didn't care about that. All they cared about was the law. They were so focused on the law of God that they missed the Son of God. Look at verse 13 now. But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, a multitude being in that place. There was a lot of people there by that pool of Bethesda. And so after Jesus said, rise, take up your bed and walk, and the man did that, he looks around and Jesus was walking away already. He didn't even know who Jesus was. And so he told him, I don't, I don't know who it was. Now I do want to point out that Jesus clearly defined bearing a burden on the Sabbath differently than how the Pharisees defined it. And because of their misinterpretation of the law, that's why they were so wrong in applying that law. Look at verse 14. Afterward, Jesus found him, this man who's been healed, found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. So this man, after being healed, he can finally walk after 38 years. And what's he do? Goes to the temple. Finally, now he can walk on his own two legs and go to the temple to worship the Lord, to thank God for his healing. I like that. And Jesus finds him there. And Jesus says, you've been made well. Now sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. Jesus gives this warning. Interesting. And we know it's because being unable to walk for 38 years, that's, that's no fun. But it's nothing compared to eternity in hell. And that's what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is trying to say physical health is nice, but spiritual health is essential. Physical health is nice, but spiritual health is essential. And so Jesus was not telling this man, now don't you cross that line ever again. Or you're going down. That's not what he was saying. Jesus was saying, you need to turn and repent from your life of sin and turn to me. Just like he tells you and I, be born again. Drink of the living water. And as we do that, we're given new life. That's what Jesus was saying when he says, now sin no more. Jesus was saying, turn to me. Your next point on the note sheet there says, it's been said that for Christians, this life is the closest thing they'll ever experience to hell. Because of God's grace and our salvation we have in Him, if you put your faith in Jesus, then the sufferings of this life, that's the closest we'll ever get to experiencing hell. But on the other side, for those non-believers, those who do not believe in Jesus, this life is the closest they'll ever get to experiencing heaven. That's what Jesus was talking about. And so now... This man knows who Jesus is. He knows Jesus' name. Look at verse 15. It says, The man departed, and he told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. And so now the Jewish leaders know that it was Jesus who healed the man, and it was Jesus who told him to carry his bed on the Sabbath. Now in verses 16 through 18, the Jews seek to kill Jesus. Verse 16 says, For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. 
you would think that when they see somebody miraculously healed, they would at least pause to listen. All right, Jesus, can you help me understand what's going on here? Because that was an amazing miracle. Now let me hear your words to see whether or not you're of God or of something else. But that's not the case. You see, they didn't want to listen to Jesus. They didn't respect him to hear what he had to say because they were only focused on what they believed was the breaking of the law. They were only focused on their idea of Jesus told this man to bear a burden on the, on the Sabbath and Jesus healed on the Sabbath day. That's work. How dare he do work on the Sabbath? And so they saw Jesus as the bad guy. Verse 17, But Jesus answered them, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. In other words, Jesus says, My father, God, he's been working on the Sabbath, and I've been working on the Sabbath too. We both work on the Sabbath. And you know what? That just blew their top off. They got so angry. You see, because Jesus calls God his father. And in the Jewish culture, if you're the son of something, then you're equal with that something. In the Jewish mind, the son of an animal is an animal. The son of a human is a human. The son of God is God. To be the son of something was to be equal with it. And so we read in verse 18, Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. You see, the Jews rightfully understood that Jesus claimed to be equal with God. They were right in their understanding. Jesus did claim that. What was wrong is that the Jews didn't believe it was true because they didn't expect God to work on the Sabbath. They didn't expect God to tell a man to bear a burden on the Sabbath. And so instead of listening to Jesus, they continued to reject him and they sought to kill him. Again, ultimately, because in their mind, they said, God wouldn't do things this way. You see, it was because of their unmet expectation that they missed out on Jesus. Now, that's your next point in the note sheet. It reminds us that unmet expectations can damage our faith in God. When God doesn't show up the way that we expect Him to, we naturally think, well, God must not be here. He must not be here at all. Think about this. The Jewish leaders were so focused on honoring God on the Sabbath that they tried to murder God on the Sabbath. Do you see the irony? How backwards that is. Also, I don't know, if I were to interpret the law of work, I would think scheming a murder might go on the side of sin, especially on the Sabbath day, right? Not quite keeping the Sabbath day holy. And so they missed out on a miracle and they missed out on God himself because of their expectation that was not met. And I think we need to pause and ask ourselves in the quietness of our own heart and ask, is there something that I'm expecting God to do? Is there some expectation that I have for God in my life right now? And if so, does it line up with his word? Does that expectation that I have line up with His Word? Because if God never said He would do it, 
then we may be setting ourselves up for a disappointing and a faith-shaking experience. Because we're expecting God to do something, but if he never said he was going to do it, that's a dangerous place to be in. Again, it's one of the reasons we spend so much time reading Scripture. Because our faith needs to be grounded in God's Word. Our faith can't be grounded upon our expectations of what God will do. We can have great, amazing faith. But if the faith is only in what we think God will do, not in God's Word, then our faith has a really bad foundation. Right? We could all head out to Butte Lake, and we could all get in a boat and then step out of the boat because we want to be like Peter. Right? We want to walk on water. And we can have great faith and believe that God can and will help us walk on water. But the big difference between us and Peter is that Peter was there on the boat calling out to Jesus. And Jesus said, it's okay, it's me. And Peter says, if it's you, then tell me to come. And Jesus said, come. Jesus told him to step out of the boat. And so in faith in Jesus' word, that's where Peter stepped out. That's why he walked on, on water. For you and I, if God never tells us to come, God doesn't tell you to step out of the boat in that way, then our expectations are probably going to get wet. And so we need to make sure our expectations are founded on God's word. I want to end today's study looking back at Jesus' question to the sick man. Back in John chapter 5, verse 6, Jesus simply said, Do you want to be made well? The man replied, I can't. I can't. It's too hard. What are you suffering with? Was it, what is it in your life that is too hard? That you can't? Maybe you need to get right with Jesus. But you say, I can't. I'm not good enough. I've sinned too much. You don't know the things that I've done, the things that I've said, the relationships that I've destroyed. Jesus would say, do you want to be made well? Maybe you've been fighting a specific sin and you say, I can't. It's too hard. I can't break my addiction. Jesus would say to you, do you want to be made well? You see, Jesus tells us, stop trying to fix your own problems. And instead, look to me. Jesus doesn't ask us if we have the strength to be made well. Jesus simply says, do you want to be made well? Jesus says it this way in Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, and it's there at the bottom of your note sheet. He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. In other words, Jesus says, you've been struggling trying to do this in your own strength. But everybody else has been getting in the pool faster than you you've been trying to get up but you can't come to me jesus says and i will give you rest verse 29 take my yoke upon you and learn from me for i am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light you see religion keeps the burden on our shoulders Religion says, you've got to be first. You've got to really want it. You've got to work for it. Jesus says, no, I came to give you rest. The burden is no longer on our shoulders because we could never hold it in the first place. And Jesus says, no, I came to bear that burden for you, 
to take that weight from you. Whether it's salvation, or it's we're already saved, but we're just feeling defeated in this certain area of our life. Or we're just feeling unable to, to really trust God's promises that are there in His Word, but I just have a hard time trusting that they really will come true. Stop trying to bear that burden in your own strength. Instead, look to Jesus. Rest in Jesus. You see, the sick man finally found rest from his labor when he stopped trying to solve his own problem, when he stopped looking at how everyone else was quicker to jump in the water than he was, and when he simply looked to Jesus. In a few moments, we're going to take communion together. Communion is a time where we remember Jesus. Remember what he's done for us. And may this communion be a time, an opportunity for us to stop laboring in our own strength, whatever that is for you in your life, to stop trying to bear that burden. And as we take communion, we're simply looking to Jesus and we're saying, Lord, I do want to be made well. And Lord, you've done the work for me. You've given me your word. Lord, help me to rest in you. And stop trying to do this in my own strength. During this next song, the men are going to come forward and pass out the the bread and the juice. The cups are double stacked, so just grab one stack if you'd like to remember Jesus today. And then hold on to it through this next song. I'll come back up and I'll pray and then we'll partake together. Go ahead and remain seated as we worship during this next song. You know, the juice points to the blood that he spilled on the cross for us and the bread, his broken body for us on the cross. And when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just pay for our sin. He didn't just give us that gift of eternal life, but he broke us free of that bondage of sin. And so it's not just salvation, the gift of going to heaven, but it's also freedom from the life that was stuck in our sin the life stuck in bondage to our flesh. And so go ahead, just between you and the Lord, take the bread and the juice and just remember that He has set you free and He's done all that's necessary to make you well. Lord, thank You so much that You loved us enough to come and die on the cross in our place. Thank you so much that you loved us with a gracious love. A love that says, though we're not worthy, though we don't deserve it, though we can't earn it, Lord, you bless us anyway. Lord, for any here today or listening online that have not yet come to you, Lord, I pray they do so today. They wouldn't wait any longer but they would stop trying to earn salvation and they would simply look to you and say, yes, I want to be made well. Lord, I pray for any today that have just been trying to pick up the burden of this Christian life and carry it themselves. Lord, may you just speak to them in their own heart and remind them, that's not why I came. I came to give this to you to do this from the inside out. And so, Lord, we pray you'd continue that work in our hearts 
of making us more like you. Continue to help us to simply fix our eyes on you. Lord, don't let us compare our spirituality with those around us. But Lord, may we just look to you. May you be our focus. Lord, thank you for being our God. Thank you for being our Heavenly Father. Thank you for being our Savior and our friend. Lord, we love you. We worship you. Thank you again so much for coming, joining with us today. Um, if you'd like to talk to somebody or you'd like us to pray for you, then there'll be some guys up here to, to talk and pray with you. Otherwise, God bless you. Hope to see you again next week. And have a great rest of your day.